0: Welcome to the Neurosurgeon's Journey, part of the Library of Brain and Spine Group's Medical Student Neurosurgery Training Center and a collaboration with the AANS's Young Neurosurgeons Committee. I'm your co-host, Michael Kortz. I'm currently the Senior Student Director of Education Resources for MSNTC, and shortly will be joined by your other co-host, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson. He is an Assistant Professor of Neurosurgery at the Baylor College of Medicine and is the current Chair of the YNC. We're happy to have you with us as we look deeper into the rewarding life of a neurosurgeon and explore what it takes to get there. So our topic for today is talking about the peculiarities uh, and particular challenges of international medical grads or IMGs um, and what they face in trying to attain a neurosurgery residency spot here in the United States. Um, We've got two guests with us today. Uh, The first is Dr. Panos Karazoudis. He's a PGY3 neurosurgery resident at Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. He is originally from Greece and graduated from the Medical School of Athens. He has also completed a master's degree in clinical and translational science from the
1: Mayo Graduate School. Panos, how are you today? Good, good. Uh, Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, very excited to be with you today. Thanks so much for being on. Um, The second
0: guest is doctor Gregoire Chaton. He's a PGY4 neurosurgery resident at the University of Colorado. He's originally from France and graduated from Barts in the London School of Medicine at the University of London before completing a postdoc at the NIH in the Surgical Neurology Branch. He has also earned a master's degree in Radiation Biology from the University of Oxford and completed his bachelor's degree in Canada.
2: Greg, how are you? Good. Good. Thank you for having us. A plus uh, on the
3: pronunciations of their names, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you nailed
2: it.
0: So uh, we really appreciate you guys being on. The motivation for this episode came from a, a the webinar series that Dr. Johnson is putting on through the Young Neurosurgeons Committee. So. Dr. Johnson, do you want to start a little bit you know, talking about where the motivation came from and why you think today is a useful conversation?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, this is uh, certainly an extremely common topic whenever you talk out in quote unquote public where people can see a topic related to neurosurgery and medical students um, and, and comment. And so that's been the case with our webinar series that we have over at Young Neurosurgeons with NREF. Where we talk about, you know, what is neurosurgery? Who wants to go into it? Tips for how to get into it, and it's and it's just an incredibly common question to ask um, how to get into neurosurgery if you're in the United States, if you're an international medical graduate. I don't think there's really a lot of information out there on this topic per se, um, and it's a complicated process, uh, particularly from the perspective of um, you know someone that's not embedded in the U.S. medical um student system where you can learn these things uh you know bit a bit more my word of mouth so I could understand how it'd be very confusing and um challenging slash daunting to to figure out how to even go about matching the United States and so I think probably the best way to learn that is to talk to people who have done it that can maybe walk people through their experience Um, although there may not be a formula per se um, I bet there's some commonalities about how to do that so that's why we wanted to chat with these two gentlemen who've done it uh, recently, uh, and see if that could help some other folks.
0: It's great overview. So we always like to start with talking about people's paths to neurosurgery itself. Um, so we'd love to hear that. Uh, <clears throat> to that end, you guys can pontificate a little on the path to the United States in general and and why you came here to train. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'll be I'd love to. Um, so as you as you uh, stated uh, uh, earlier, um, I did my med school in Athens. Um, I entered uh, I was admitted to med school in 2008 actually. And then early on actually in med school, I knew that I wanted to you know pursue um, clinical experience and perhaps residency outside of Greece. So the first important decision I think in my life was um in this direction was to take the steps early on actually during med school. Um and uh make sure I, I try to get you know great, you know, good scores. Um, and then after that, um I try to, you know, during uh, towards the end of the med school, I wanted to make sure I can get some clinical experiences, uh, experience in the United States and pursue um, electives. Um, I did three actually. I did one at Hopkins, one at Mayo, one at Uh, NYU. And uh, so that gave me kind of a little bit more experience, exposure, uh, not only to the American health system, but also, you know, interact with residents, interact with patients, get to practice my English. And then finally, you know, make connections about what am I going to do after I graduate from med school? Because that's, I think that's the first important step um, that people like in our uh, shoes need to know and tease out. I think the earlier, the better. Um, after i finished um, med school um, i uh, i started actually at Mayo doing research um, and i started working with dr muhammad biden who's one of the consultants by neurosurgeons here um, and the plan was to essentially do like what is called a research fellowship essentially you know being devoted like hundred percent of my time to you know pursue it was mostly clinical research but also some transnational stuff in animals Um and uh the plan was to do about two years and then at the end of the two years i applied and by the time i you know fortunately started residency it was a total of three years essentially that i did research um, at mayo At the meantime the mayo had also uh the graduate school had a a graduate program um in clinical and translational science that involved a lot of statistics designing studies um you know things like that and so that also that was a total of two years with a a thesis at the end that I defended, um, and so uh, that also gave me an extra boost, not only for my skills for the research itself, but also another credential that helped me. I think by the time I was applying, so this is roughly my journey. Thank you so much. It um, was very concise.
0: Greg how about you um it's a little bit different but there might be some parallels there
2: <laughs> yeah it is it is a little different I, I just want to start with by saying that how relevant uh this subject is um especially you know as i would have liked to listen to such an episode when it was time for me to apply about 4 years ago um cuz like dr johnson said uh you know we're in the dark we have no idea how the system works and um i'm sure it was the same for panos but we had to teach everything you know ourselves um so um i had a little bit of an edge because my family moved to the states about 18 years ago where my parents currently live in dc um i went to med school in london like you said uh and one of the reasons I i went to the uk is because for a very long time i thought my family was gonna move back to europe anyways um so it it Towards the middle of my medical school, you know, my parents decided to stay in the States and have a long career over there. So I decided to move back to, to America and practice medicine. Uh, as an IMG, uh, you know, practicing medicine in America is, is seen as this impossible task, let alone you know, matching a neurosurgery. Uh, a lot of people will, will discourage you uh, to try to go in the States because it's a very expensive process and, and, and people will tell you it's, it's impossible. And you're gonna waste your money. You're gonna waste your your time. But it is doable, as you can tell from Panos and I's experiences. so I, um, my my dad had back surgery during my second year of med school, and he had his back surgery at, at Georgetown um, by one of the neurosurgeons over there, Dr. Vujicis, this great guy. And uh, he told him about you know my my will to uh, want to practice medicine and neurosurgery in the states, and and Dr. Vaidzis actually offered me a a two weeks observership and that really sealed the deal for me and that's when i i really uh you know uh, told myself that i was going to work very hard you know towards the goal of neurosurgery in the states um so Obviously, like Panos said, you have to tease out what you need to do. Uh essentially, you need to to define the fact that you have to take, you know, the boards, you have to uh, score very highly, especially as an IMG, as you have a chip on your shoulder and you need to prove to the American system and to the other Americans, you know, interviewing you that you belong there, you know. And you also have to do your sub-eyes, get letters of recommendation and get the, the right connections. And also the research, research is a big important thing. So once you have planned out everything uh then you you can you can you can work towards that goal and i think organization skills is is something i learned through the processes you know organizing your sub eyes i did three sub i did um i did one at the nih uh one at georgetown and cleveland clinic sorry four sub-eyes and then the fourth one was gw um, and then apply to to residency from from there on. And then between my med school and uh, residency application, uh, like you said, I spent a year at the NIH, and that also allowed me to to, to put a foot in the door uh, for sure.
0: So you highlight. You guys both highlight a lot of good info there um, that we can get into for both pragmatic and and. Um, maybe bigger picture reasons, but um, I think it'd be good to discuss a little bit about how difficult it really is. This is probably a lot of this information is going to be important for people applying to neurosurgery, but really any complicated, uh, uh, competitive surgical subspecialty in the United States. So it might be good to discuss a little bit about what the normal, uh, just what the data shows. So as you said, it's very difficult and um from what I've seen, the match rate is anywhere from you know 25 to 50% any given year for independent applicants in general, meaning um, U.S. grads, uh, osteopathic grads, and international medical grads. And you can then break down international medical grads into kind of two groups. You've got your U.S. IMGs and your non-U.S. IMGs. So um, U.S. IMGs maybe go to a Caribbean school or, or they're from the United States, and then uh, they try to gain a residency spot. Um, and then non-US IMGs are uh, kind of where you guys are um, fitting into. So would you guys discuss a little bit more about how, um, you know, you you just, you told me a little bit about the, the actual steps you took there, but maybe what was the motivation to really take this daunting step? I think, you, like you said, a lot of people are going to discourage applicants from doing this. They're going to tell them that it's impossible um, Greg, maybe expand on that a little bit more about how you took that on the chin and used it maybe to, to fuel your, your passion for practicing here.
2: Sure. Um, so I had two main motivating factor. Uh, my number one was my family and I wanted to go back and, you know, live in the States, like, I, like I mentioned earlier. And also because in the UK, um, uh, like training into neurosurgery is very difficult. There is a lot of bottleneck effect. Uh, and you know, uh, ending ending a good job in neurosurgery is is is, is very hard. Uh, so I think the two combining factors really pushed me forward to to try and and pursue neurosurgery in the states. Um, the thing is, uh, I did not question myself too much because once you start questioning yourself and once you start d- doubting yourself, this is when I think you are not gonna do the maximal you know uh, uh, work towards that goal meaning that I think it was all about determination, organization skills, you know, and resilience, and not taking no for an answer. So yeah, I had a lot of background noise from different attendings when I was a med student. Uh, I, even one of the neurosurgeons uh, in London told me that I had better chances of being an astronaut than you know, matching in neurosurgery in the US. Uh, and then you listen to all of this and, and you take it with a grain of salt and you know you, what you have to do. You have to do your steps really well. So you have to teach yourself everything. You know, uh, step one was very hard uh, coming from Europe and I'm sure Panos can attest to this because what you learn in medicine in Europe is not necessarily what you the knowledge you need for step one because there's a lot of basic clinical sciences. Uh, and I had one friend who had matched um, at Tufts in internal medicine. And he was, uh, you know, a shoulder I was relying on, uh, because he had gone through the process of an IMG and matching in, in in the States. So that was my main source of information. And then after once you, you know, uh, go through the whole like step process, et cetera, then you need to figure out when are you going to do your supplies, you know, and in organizing all of this as well. Uh, But to come back to your initial question, my two uh, motivating factor was my family and and the fact that I was telling myself I would
1: probably have a better career uh, in in the US as well.
0: Do you have anything to add Panos?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I totally uh, echo uh, Greg's uh, discussion points. Um, I think as Greg said, um, I wanted to say uh, also that um, it's very useful to have a guidance as you are embarking into this journey. Um, I myself had um, a medical student who was two years ahead of me who's now doing, um, he's actually now starting as plastic surgery faculty at University of uh, uh, in Cincinnati. But the thing is that, you know, at that time when he was trying to do, you know, general surgery and we were friends and he would, you know, essentially, you know, teach me some basics and he would also himself you know, tell me about his experience in the States. So I think one important thing that, you know, people need to know is if you can identify even a student mentor ahead of you who's older than you and, uh, or a resident perhaps who has been through the same thing that you're trying to do, then I think it's very useful. The second thing is, which I think really helped me now in retrospect is try to speak with as many internationals in the United States in the specialty that you want to do as possible um one for many one because you want to learn about the different programs because you want to learn about their experiences every person has a very interesting story to tell here and many times you know very different stories and i'll come back to that and and then finally um you make you know connections people that you know perhaps they might help you um afterwards if you do a good job they might help you get an interview when the time comes what i what i think it's um you know, very important is um, there is no, as Dr. Johnson said, there is no formula. In my mind, there are four main pathways that people have done it. And I like usually to use statistics. um, And I really like, and for the people that are, you know, listening to us, um, I really like the fact that you have some uh, links on your website about how people can uh, look into the statistics, because I think they give kind of a framework and uh, of what people need to expect when they're doing this. It's because you need a lot of resilience, and when you come here, it's an investment. Meaning, in my mind, if you come here, you need to make sure that you're invested in what you're gonna do, and you're gonna spend, you know, the time and the money, and the sweat and everything. And you're not coming here, you know, and in any, you know, in any country, not just you know here. Whether you're gonna migrate in another country to do your residency, um, you need to make sure that you know you're gonna, you know, go for it. If you're coming here just for fun, you know, just a little bit, you know, go you know, not being devoted to what you're going to do, you're not going to succeed. I think that's very important thing is that you have to be very, um, you have to, you need to have perseverance. So in my mind, coming back to this, the four main pathways, I, you know, there are some people that apply straight out of uh, medical. This is not very common. It's rather uncommon. Um, and sometimes they make it, sometimes they don't. Uh, but typically my experience from those people that I talk, they don't have a lot of, very few interviews. And so you're kind of, you know, really, anxious about whether you're going to make it or not just because you know everybody knows from the nrmp results um, from the graphs that the higher the number of interviews kind of correlates it does not guarantee a spot but at least it kind of correlates with the chances of getting a uh, finding a spot the second pathway is uh, people that are doing um, preliminary surgery and uh, and then they try to find a spot we have to say at this point there is a, an attrition rate in neurosurgery, and we talk about this every year. I think at the big conferences uh, like WNS and CNS, why do we have attrition rate in neurosurgery residency? I think at some point one study showed we have 17 percent attrition rate, and so sometimes people are lucky like, you know, and they can find an open PGY two spot um, in a program, and then they you know they go for it. Um, the third pathway is the research pathway, like I did and you know Greg did where essentially you're trying to um, boost your CV by uh, showing that you're, you know, more academic, you know, uh, inclined, you're doing research. It's essentially a way to make connections, go to conferences, present your work, you know, be involved in that aspect of neurosurgery. And in my mind, I personally think that this is the most um, statistically speaking um, successful way compared to the other three. And then uh, finally, uh, there is the, the new pathway, which is called the pre-residency fellowship, uh, which is essentially uh, some programs have it, like University of uh, Iowa, Mount Sinai, in, uh, in New Mexico, I think, um, I don't remember which other ones, or in Florida, I believe there are some programs where essentially what you do is you do a couple of years of clinical work with some research. You work kind of as a resident, but it doesn't count as a residency. Um, and so you need to start from a PGY-1 afterwards, but the idea is that you essentially, they get to know you at that program more for your clinical uh, uh, work and ethic and everything. And so you have chances of matching more likely at that program or perhaps somewhere else. Oh, that was really good. And espe- yeah, <laughs> and especially for the research, I just wanna say, as you know, Mike, you can attest to that. I think things are getting harder and harder every year to the point that even American students Take a year of med school, we should say now, to do research and you know, boot, you know, work on their CV in that way.
0: It's absolutely true. Um, everything you said. There's a lot of parallels. For I mean, it's competitive for everyone. Um, you know, only seventy percent or so. Of even US seniors matched into neurosurgery. So it's not like yeah. it's you know super easy for people on our side. No, no, it's significantly more difficult for independent applicants. And so um even even more so, which is uh kind of hard to fathom. And everything you said, those four pathways are uh actually a great segue into what I was hoping to talk about next. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a letter to the editor in World Neurosurgery that was published just a few months ago from uh Ankush Chandra and they talk about the five pathways that uh, foreign medical grads can take to try to maximize their chances to match into neurosurgery here in the United States. And they they the four you said were exactly right, uh, the same ones they said, and then they added one, which is pursue an advanced degree in the United States, maybe mm-hmm. um, getting a PhD or uh, something else, uh, which is similar to what you guys have done as well. Um, so, Dr. Johnson, I was wondering if you would maybe contrast and compare, maybe a little bit about the the path that they've taken and some of the notes that they've said on on their their journey and how that might relate to uh, grads here in the United States, and maybe respond to some of the uh, rhetoric that they've they were receiving as foreign medical grads, and that you shouldn't do it because it's impossible and that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're right. It's it's hard. It's hard for everyone. And I think from the perspective of someone who's looking for good residents, um, I think most programs don't really are pretty agnostic to where the person comes from. They just need to be proven to be excellent, right? So, uh, there's some nursery match statistics that we will probably have an independent episode about so that people will kind of know some of the metrics that you need to hit um, to have a good chance of being successful. But I think if you hit those and they're generally speaking board scores, which that may go away soon, research, letters of recommendation, uh, what else are there? Uh, there's just a handful of them number, you know, and all these things make you a competitive candidate. And then like, like was alluded to, actually, if you get a certain number of interviews, you actually have a pretty good chance of matching and that number is usually around 10 to 15 in that range. Um, And so you have to make yourself competitive on paper to get that many interviews and and, and you just have to hit these metrics good scores on your boards, while that's still relevant, good research, good letters of recommendation. Um, and, and, and the reason actually it's interesting that the boards are so important for international grads is because like they alluded to the medicines taught differently in other countries. And so the, the U S programs want to know that you have a grasp on medicine, the way that it's taught in the United States. Right. So I don't, just like it is the case for people that are U S students that don't have a home program. You just kind of have to demonstrate these, these basic competencies on the same level as U S grads and, and you're competitive. Um, now there are a few things that you need to have as they alluded to, you need to have research and that's like becoming a more and more important metric for who matches and who doesn't in neurosurgery. There's no question about it. Um, even statistically on the match data um, and you have to have exposure to US medicine and some and important people say that you're very good in that setting. So that's where these sub eyes that they go on uh, come into play. Um, I think the, the, the research path that they both took is smart, um, you know, it is somewhat of a risk. It's time that you have to spend doing research for the hope that it improves your application, right? But it's smart if you land in a place with a good research, you know, sort of muscles, you know, that, that can really pump out good research and train you in that route. B, it's smart in that if you do that in a place that has a nurse surgery program, you, know, you don't necessarily want to do it at a molecular biology lab at Harvard, right? I mean, that's good if you want to be a molecular biologist at Harvard, but it's actually really good to do research in a nurse surgery department for the reason that you get to know these mentors that were just writing you letters and say that you're excellent, which, again, needs to get you up to the par with everyone else who would probably spend time in their home residency program to get those letters. Um, so I think all those things can kind of debunk the the some of the rhetoric as you call it um that it's extremely is a very it's impossible to match a nurse us from an international medical graduate now it is very hard and it does take a lot of resources and time and not everyone that's an international medical graduate may have that time financial resources uh and then go through this rigor and then you know be proven to have the resume that they want to be competitive. So that's kind of the risk of it in my mind. Um, but it's not impossible, but it but it, but it, certainly is challenge, more challenging than going through the medical system in the United States, without question, more complex.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a really good overview. I, I'm, I think it would be good to maybe uh, nuance a little bit of the data for international medical grads. Um, and so I've got the charting outcomes uh, in the match is published uh, by uh, NLE, by the uh, National, National Resident Matching Program. And um, for non-US IMGs, um, 11 matched and 33 did not match. Um, The mean step one score for match was 243, and and unmatched was 235. Step two is 245, uh, and unmatched was 240. Um, The mean number of abstracts, presentations, and publications, now um, just a disclaimer, they don't differentiate between those um, necessarily in terms of peer-reviewed publications and abstracts, that sort of thing, but uh, 61 was the average number for matched applicants whereas thirty eight was the number for the unmatched applicants so there's definitely a disparity there and that's actually very that's i can't say from a statistical significance standpoint but the uh, that number is much greater than for any u s grad um typically that's in the twenty to twenty five range for um matched usmd seniors uh, which shows uh, as per other uh, data that shows that um, more uh, foreign medical grads are taking those research years, as as you guys have, and as I am uh, as well. And uh, about 95%, it says, in, in one study said that um, students are taking these uh, research years, depending on the year, um, of course. And that's actually different than um, U.S. IMGs, as I had kind of discrim- uh, differentiated those two earlier. Um, the mean number for us IMGs who match was 28 whereas the mean number who didn't match was 58 so maybe there's a discrepancy there in terms of why you're doing the research here in terms of you know maybe trying to make up for a, a low board score that sort of thing but those things are uh, very important as you said i think it was good to just maybe um add some numbers to the uh what we were trying to say
2: <clears throat> sorry um no i just wanted to um uh... Go back to the point that Dr. Johnson made about having a good grasp of the US medical system and how it works. That was extremely important when, when I applied. And one of the reasons you 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 show this is obviously doing sub-eyes and getting letters of recommendations. The people I have seen as IMGs fail into matching into any sorts of specialty in America, are the people who did not have letters of recommendation, or or only just one from the US, or who had done just one survey. Um, Like Dr. Johnson said, you know, it's a financial implication and, and investment, but you, like Vanna said, you need to show maximal dedication, and you need to spend a lot of time trying to you know sort out your sub eyes and get those letters of recommendation and then through those sub eyes and letters of recommendation that's how you know you get to do research in the states uh, with the bigger guys as well um and so the how i ended up working at the nih is because during my sub at the nih i was offered a, a postdoc fellowship with uh the guys over there with dr shidi boina who's a great guy and then that that allowed me to do some like high-powered research so Yes, numbers are important. Uh, you know when you look at stats, etc. But if you don't have those basic things like letters of recommendation from American, you know, physician attendings, you will not go very far. Even if you have, you know, uh, 80 papers or or etc. The other thing I wanted to mention: there's a sixth pathway we haven't really talked about, uh, and that I just thought about um, is. People who have already done a neurosurgery residency in Europe, for example, or somewhere else, and are applying as mature IMGs and doing a second, you know, neurosurgery residency. Uh, and I'm only saying this because you know some of our um, uh, listeners may 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 be in that in that category. No, thanks for that. And people who do that are <laughs>
0: unbelievable. I mean, you guys are just for taking the amount of time and, and resources that you guys have. Maybe it might be good to shift the conversation just a little bit to talking about actually how to get in plugged into sub eyes and get plugged into the united states healthcare system um, a majority of uh based on my own research a majority of uh, international grads are from uh, the middle east and i didn't know if there was differences there were differences in where an international grad comes from in trying to get into the United States? I know you guys are from different areas in Europe and have different pathways. Are there um, different things that people should be cognizant of when they try to get plugged in the United States healthcare system, depending on where they're from? Um, I don't know if either of you had any insight into that.
2: I don't think it necessarily matters where you're coming from. Uh, I think you need to do a lot of research into sub eyes before you apply, uh, and talk to other people like Pana said, you know, talk to people who have succeeded into matching in neurosurgery as IMGs. Uh, I would say, uh, there are some big name programs, uh, that will charge you an absurd amount of money for sub eyes. Really, uh, look into, uh, you know, who you're doing your sub eyes with and, and see um, you know, um, the financial aspect behind it as well.
1: Do you have anything to add, Panos? Um, no, I wouldn't, no, I don't think, you know, expectations in my mind, I think should be the same. And I, I'm speaking this, uh, you know, because in our lab, we had, you know, international graduates like myself that, you know, wanted to match in neurosurgery and they are from Pakistan, India, uh, Lebanon, Syria, from, you know, from all over the world the expectations are the same. You know, it is true that cultural differences can play a role um, in terms of how fast and how easily you get familiarized with the American system. Um, and uh, this is really a matter up to, you know, to the applicant to, to be proactive and, you know, learn, you know, the ways of the system and the, the patients that you're going to be treating and um you know that and that's also something important which i know that right now it's off the chart but you know that also mattered a lot back in the day with the step to cs where internationals used to fail a lot so we could perhaps talk about this especially and you know a lot of people from you know especially from non english speaking countries or with a bad accent like myself i guess <laughs> they uh <laughs> They, they like I think like the fail rates in the step to CS was about twenty five thirty percent actually the first time for the internationals and usually was proficiency of the English language, I believe. Now I, th- I know that this is now not mand- mandated anymore, but it may come back and that's just something that uh, it ad- also adds to the point of doing uh, clinical rotations here.
0: Yeah, there was talk of doing it uh, via you know virtually the steps to CS. I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about it being canceled because of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. So uh, that was actually my next question because I think that is a big hurdle, um, which we've alluded to during this conversation. <clears throat> is how to prepare for board exams, the so United States Medical Licensing Examination. Um, there are three parts. There's one, two CK and CS, and then three. How are? How did you guys prepare for those examinations? And maybe we can break it down into the written exams, which is step one and two CK, and then the the uh, patient clinical exam, which is two CS, and how how you guys prepared for those both um, maybe in a cost-effective way, as well as um, feeling like you were ready to take it. When, you know, how did you get to that point?
1: Um, Panos, if you wanna just expand on that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And this is something that, um, you know, especially when we used to have, you know, uh, rotate, uh, rotating students or, you know, visiting students from all over the world at Mayo, but of course now this is, you know, because of the pandemic, as we said, this is, you know, has been halted, but um, the first thing I always ask them is when they tell me that they wanna do residency in the United States is I asked them, do you have the step one? Um, I was lucky enough that I took step one during early on in med school. And it was very, it was right after the preclinical years essentially of my med school. And that's because I, I knew I wanted to come here. And so um, I had set it up in my mind that I need to take it as early as possible for two reasons one because you wanted you know the good score you want to um, make sure it's close to the clinic you know to the preclinical um coursework that you're doing and also because a lot of um, uh, rotations right now are mandating a step one um actually uh pass uh before you you know you come here um as a like uh, for example at Mayo it's required that you have a step one before you apply for an elective um you know there is ton of resources resources change I took my step one back in two thousand and twelve and that it's like almost a decade ago for yeah it's crazy. Um but um but what would you know what I would say is uh may I would say I think one of the most useful I always I tell you know students is make sure you try to take step one as early as possible. Um especially if you're still a student. Don't wait for graduation and then go back to step one. I do think personal opinion, because a lot of students actually decide late, kind of late to come to the United States. And then they're thinking, maybe I should take step two and then take step one, which, you know, it's feasible. Um, but I think getting step one and then going for step two, I think it's a uh, easier pathway. I don't know what if Greg uh, can also, you know, talk about this kind of at the sequence end.
2: yeah no i totally agree uh you need to if if you're really serious about going to the states uh, to practice medicine and neurosurgery especially uh, you need to take step one uh very early on because all of that basic science knowledge is it is a depreciating you know knowledge you lose it very quickly uh and it's it's so hard when you're further into medical school to to take step one uh or should i say much harder um the one thing I do want to mention is that, you know, like Dr. Johnson alluded to earlier, step one is it's probably going to become obsolete. It's just going to be a pass or fail uh, in two years. So maybe the pressure is a little, you know, off uh, to get like an amazing, you know, uh, sky high board score. However, they're going to care about other things now even more. Um, so that that, that that that's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, era of applications because, you um, it's, it's going to be totally, uh, totally changed. And especially when looking at applications, like people are going to care about other things that we don't necessarily care today. Um, but to go back to your initial point, like how did I study for it? I, I took it as an s- end of second year of med school. Uh, I took uh, board review courses. Um, and first aid was was my bible. You know, I had it open. I've, every single you know uh, lectures in med school, I would refer back to my first aid. You know, uh, every time we would talk about a subject, and and I studied hard. You know, at night coming back, you know, very late, I would study hard for step one because I I knew it was so important uh, to do well in in the states. And and my friends in in England didn't understand why I was studying so hard. But you have to tell yourself you're doing it for because you know you you want to reach. Uh, something that is that is very hard to get to, but it's very feasible. Um, and then step two, uh, step two for me um, in England, the way you you s- you learn medicine is very clinical. So step two was much easier, especially CS because the way we're we're assessed and evaluated for finals is exactly the way CS works. It's called osces where we evaluate, you know, we examine patients in front of an examiner, and uh, so that 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 was much easier for me. Uh, step one was definitely the, the giant, um, um you know, what's going to happen for IMGs when they apply and it's only a pass or fail, uh, assessment for step one scores.
0: To, to talk a little bit about the impact of pass fail for step one. Um, actually our, one, our, one of our previous guests, he's a, a MS4 at Johns Hopkins, him and a team, uh, Actually, published a paper uh, from a survey on program directors in neurosurgery, who's what their perceptions were going to be of the impact of the pass fail change. And you know, one of the key ones that I that stuck out to me was that um, grads from less prestigious schools, um, which could be, you know, really anything if you, however you define it, but they're going to be disproportionately affected um, because they're not going to be able to quote unquote, equal the playing field. And that was one of the big concerns of the change at the onset. So I think that that's something that, you know, students are gonna have to be cognizant of and,
2: you know, excel on the step two CK. Right, Um, so that's exactly, so I've heard uh, that theory as well, that, you know, uh, people from bigger name medical school would have more chances in matching in your surgery now. Uh, I don't know whether that's true, um, I think, like you, like you were saying, that we're probably going to put more more emphasis on on step two scores, you know, and right. we're just going to be shifting uh, our attention to that score. You know, okay. everyone is going to have a pass in step one, so now we're going to care more about the step two score. Now, right. when people are applying to neurosurgery, they don't necessarily need to show a step two score, but I think you know, medical students are going to feel obliged now to show yeah. a very high step two score.
0: Yeah, and I think that yeah, that'll probably be you know who knows it, it doesn't start until january 2022 but whoever is going to be taking uh you know be applying here in the next couple of years is going to have to take that into account so um i think that you know to cover your bases just do all the things that everyone's doing but um what doctors something that dr gabriel zada from usc said um, in a previous episode is that you just got to do ten percent more all the time <laughs> and uh, as a independent applicant you Maybe you need to do 10 percent more than even other neurosurgery applicants, and so um, it's going to be a long road, and you might get a lot of no's and rejections, but you got to keep going. Um, as...
3: oh right, yeah. I don't think anyone knows what that's going to how, what effect that will have. I mean, I think generally speaking, uh, when you talk to people around the country who are program directors and the like, they they typically have some um, apprehension about the effect that losing step one will have on the folks who aren't U.S. traditional um, medical graduates with, you know, in a residency program, in a medical school that has a residency program and um, and these types of things. And the reason is, is because the step one is currently used as sort of like an equalizer. So if you're at a school who doesn't um, have the pache or cache, I should say, of a top 40 NIH funded u.s medical school then if you have an outstanding step one score then people just kind of shrug their shoulders and say he'll he'll do well wherever he is or she will do well wherever she is um without the step one score the question is going to be what will be the next metric that people use to kind of make everyone equal and will it be one of the other steps um, will it be research? Will it be even more heavily weighted towards people with letters of recommendation? I don't think we know that yet. Um, but I do think it's in there, are pluses and minuses to having it and not having it count as much as it did. And we will just have to see where it goes. I don't think there's anyone really knows for sure what impact that will have. But I think most people think that it could be negative. But until it happens and it all shakes out, I'm not sure we'll know for sure.
0: Do you guys have any uh, insight on how to connect with programs from a, an international standpoint? Sounds sub-ice like, or- yeah, sub eyes or getting connected with the NIH or particular mm-hmm. programs. Is it just emailing program coordinators mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, like all grads do? Or is there some particular thing that you guys did that was maybe different?
2: Yeah, I think, I think, like I said, you, you have to shop a lot. Uh, around talk to different people who are in different programs uh if you can find imgs reach out to them um i know that every time i get an img email i answer right away because um i were in those shoes you know four right. years ago uh and i i know how it feels um so yeah you can contact programs you won't necessarily always get an answer uh, so when it came to sub eyes um so Georgetown, um, I had done the two weeks observership and then I converted it to a four week sub after that. Uh, but I already had my foot in the door. I know that they don't like a, usually IMGs for, for sub-eyes. And then the NIH, I just planned to applied to it for a sub-eye. Okay. Um, I didn't know anyone. I didn't send, I mean, I probably sent an email, but I don't think I got an answer. I just no. went through the, the whole application process. Uh, and then Cleveland Clinic, exactly the same thing. I just went through the the whole application process. And then once you're in, then that's when you make connections for right. research and and for job offers after you know medical school, because you're gonna the majority of people applying from med school directly into residency are gonna have a gap year. Right. The reason being is that you have to graduate to be able to have an ECMG uh, certificate to be able to apply to residency, and that's a little bit of a nuance uh, versus the, the, the American, you know, kids applying to residency where they can apply during their fourth year. Um, Can you expand on that a little bit? Like what what that actually is and why it's important. So you need to, and then Panos can, uh, uh, you know, help me with this, but you need to have what's called an ECFMG certificate. Uh, and then, uh, to get that, you have to have graduated from medical school have taken step one step two ck and step two cs once you have those four things then you get that certificate that will allow you to apply to residency okay but to have that you have to have graduated gotcha so by definition you're going to have a gap here. and this is why i was you know aggressively trying to find a job um you know at the end of my medical school um right. so i have two friends who stayed so they um I have two really good friends who matched into orthopedic neurosur- um, orthopedic surgery and cardiothoracic surgery in America as IMG. They graduated the same year from the same school as I did, so they were also both successful into matching into surgical specialty. So IMGs so
0: so go to your school and <laughs> no, I
2: think I think we 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 were we were a little clique, you know, of 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 a few students trying to make it to America. We had you know uh, set up this 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 group call Uh, i can't can't remember what it was but it was something about img's applying to america to america and anyways we're you know uh, doing meetings etc and it was very informative and i think they were trying to help each other Uh, anyways my point being is that they stayed in england after they graduated for a year and they worked as physicians first-year physicians in england whereas you know after my sub i at the nih you know um one of the guys approached me and said hey do you want a job you know for a year you can help me in the lab You've had some research experience at Oxford, you published in like in high impact papers, et cetera. And then that's how I ended up, you know, uh doing that one year uh, interim. Um so yeah, like connections is important, putting your foot in the door with sub-eyes, getting good letters, etc. Um great. what about you, Panos?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I I totally agree with Greg. Um what I want to say is, uh, you know, that's a very good question. Ultimately, I think I, at least from my experience, my mentor and the person that I worked under, you know, the mentorship under is one of the most critical things. If you decide to do the research pathways, one of the most critical things you can do for your career, ultimately. And be very careful on how you are going to choose that person. And obviously that person is going to choose you. Because if you do a really good job and you show that, you know, you are determined to do this and give your whole self kind of essentially into this, then you're going to get back. And that's one of the most rewarding things, I think, about being in the States, which is being rewarded uh, and meritocracy um, for the most part. uh, You know, uh, we're not talking about exceptions, but, you know, there's going to be, you know, reward if you do, if you work hard. Um, you know, whether you're an international or an American, uh, I'm talking about in general. And so, um, you know, definitely my, thanks to my mentor, not only I was able, you know, to get my research fellowship, have a stipend, that's other important thing that we need to mention to the internationals, which is, uh, like myself, although I had a set up research job, that doesn't mean that in the meantime, I didn't make sure that I email other people, and you sometimes you just start with generic emails. And I remember when I was a research fellow, I was re, uh, receiving you know hundreds you know, of emails of people just you know where essentially you just send hundred emails to uh, programs around the country, and you're hoping that at least ten of them will get back to you. Then nine out of ten is going to be an unpaid job uh, where you're going to have to support yourself probably for a year. Um, And then many times, you know, based on a grant that you're either going to write or your consultant may have, you know, during that time you are there, they might be able to fund you. So in my mind, um, I think statistically speaking, again, uh, you need to do um, two years of research. That's my opinion. I don't think that one And by one year, I mean that you come for a few months into that program. And then you apply after three, four months. And then you're hoping that you're going to match or you're going to get those good letters. I think you need to spend that extra time in that institution where you're going to do your research to make for all these reasons we have mentioned already. So that's one. The second, sometimes you might be able to get a paid job up front. But most of the time I tell students, you have to be prepared. And that's how it works for me, too. You have to be prepared to support yourself for a year. And that can make a difference depending on where you're gonna do this. For example, New York versus Rochester, where I am right now. Um, and then be careful how you, you know, as again, as a, you, you choose your mentor, because uh, thanks to my mentor, I also was able to get more interviews. Ultimately, there's gonna be uh, a person who's gonna picking up the phone for you and call programs to give you an interview. And that's also something we can talk more about this. And perhaps you left it for the last part of this interview. Which is, your goal is, in my mind, is to get the interview. Once you get the interview, you're playing now at a different level, uh, you know, meaning, you know, programs have determined now that you're good on paper. And now the question is, are you a good fit? Can you match? So I think in my mind, you're doing all this work, at least the initial one, to make sure you get the interview. Because, as we said, the number of interviews you get correlate um, with also, you know, your chances and programs you may like, et etc. What do you think, Greg, about about this aspect?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, you need to do everything uh, to get through that door, that interview door. Once you through that interview door, they just want to see that you're a good guy who can have a normal conversation, um, you know, and uh, who's going to bring something to the residency program. Um, I think yeah, the, the hardest part, like Panna said, is is getting that interview. But once you go you get those interviews, then then you, you should be fine.
0: Are there any particular questions that you guys received as being international medical grads that you think
1: future so,
2: IMGs should be aware of or things that they should think about in the, the interview? The number one question I was asked at every single interview is why are you trying to come to the U.S. to practice? And you need to have a very good answer for this. For me, it was from you know a personal perspective, my family, and then uh, also because I thought I was going to have a you know a better career uh, because there were bottleneck effects, like I said, in the U.K. But you can't say, for example, oh because salaries are are high in the states, like that 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 will not fly. You need to have a very good uh, answer. Because again, that that's the number one question you're going to be asked. Why are you trying to come, to come to the States to practice neurosurgery? What about you, Panos?
1: Yeah, that's the one, that's the first question. And the other question that people need to be prepared for is um, how do you think these years of med school are going to affect you in your clinical performance? So if let's say like, for example, I was two years, essentially three years out of med school um, until I started. That's also another common uh, question. And again, um, there is no, you know, um, bad answer. As long as you have an answer, I don't think that anybody's gonna say, oh, that guy is two or three years um, out of medical, so she's not gonna perform well. I don't think that's true. I think you can pick up, um, you know, your clinical performance pretty quickly just because you work so hard and you work so many hours that, you know, it's part of the system that, you know, part of the process that you're going to be, you know, you're going to pick up um, in that aspect, you know, even as you said, uh, uh, Mike, uh, people do a PhD, which the median time here is the United States is five years. So how do people, you know, come back to a clinical experience, you know, uh, experience after five years. And I think in my mind, the answer was trying to show that you were engaged, you went to the conferences, which is also something that we can perhaps talk about is, once you go into the program, that you're going to do, let's say, your research or, you know, anything else, Um, you need, if you really, if you, I think in my mind, the highest chances you have at matching is at the program you're doing your research in, if you decide to stay. Now, of course, I understand that there might be some programs that um, might not be as IMG friendly. Your highest chances are in the program I think you're doing just because people know you there and slowly with time you can get to know the people interact with them, maybe do papers go to the conferences, get to know the residents, um, get to know the people. And that also will you know will take some you know will take some time but and um i think it's important
2: like the number one question i'm asked very often when i speak to img's trying to get into neurosurgery is how many interviews i ended up getting and that's probably a way for them to gauge you know what the chances are uh and i ended up getting you know 17 interviews uh and like I said, you have a very interesting story uh, to tell during interviews. People were very happy to have a conversation with me. Uh, and I ended up getting a lot of traction. Um, surprisingly, I was not expecting this. And uh, I got five calls from different program directors uh, after the whole interview uh, season and prior to um, ranking. And I ended up matching at my top choice. Colorado was my you know number one sc- uh, residency program I wanted to g- go to and obviously I was Ecstatic about the the outcome of the the whole process, so uh, it's definitely doable. So, Greg, um,
0: I think a aspect of this that is coming out uh, in this conversation is the financial burden that um, all applicants face, but probably to a more to greater extent, international medical grads. So, I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think that, I think that's a very good question, Michael, and it's something that you know, we overlook uh, talking about is is how expensive is it to to apply to the states and the whole process. Uh, it is very expensive. And that's why a lot of people don't end up doing the whole process, they end up just taking step one, and that's it. Um, so again, it is dedication is it has certainly a, a big financial impact on you. Um, so the steps are expensive. Uh, Unfortunately, you're going to have to find the resources uh, of of paying for those. Like American kids, everyone has to pay for those. Uh, The one thing I, I would say the two things that are very expensive, especially for IMGs is uh, doing sub eyes, so rota- away rotations, uh, where do you do your away rotations and how do you choose them? Uh, I think that's also important. I did a lot of research uh, when it came to doing my sub uh, and try to pick places where it was going to be cheaper uh, for me to go to. For example, all of the uh, you know programs I, I went to for my four sub-eyes, they were free there are other you know places that are very expensive they'll charge you between four thousand and five thousand uh dollars just for four weeks and i wanted to avoid that because i didn't have the you know the, the the cash to do so um so like i said i chose programs that you know, if you got in as a sub-eye, then it would be free. Even clinic, clinic, uh, Cleveland Clinic was paying for your own, accommod- I mean, for your accommodation. And I also chose programs close to my my home. You know, that was one way I also dealt with, you know, the financial hit uh, is by staying with my parents. So one thing you can also do is if you know someone in the area, maybe you would be more inclined in, in applying, you know, to sub-eyes in, in, in that specific region. Uh, that way you can stay with family, friends or friends that you know um and that would certainly absorb some some of the cost associated to this and then um coming to you know the whole interview process you know let's say you have 15 interviews you know it's it's going to be very very hard financially to go to these interviews uh uh, from you know from wherever you're applying for example if you're in london if you're in greece athens or even in the middle east uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, um, how are you going to, you know, pay for 15 flights? Uh, you're going to have, I mean, either you have to have a lot of money or you have to take out a loan or uh, you are already in the system, already on American soil, which I think is probably the best option. And that was one of the reasons as well that I chose to do, you know, something after medical in America because you're already, you know, you have already a foot on the ground. Uh, and it, it makes the whole process much cheaper, you know, you don't have to pay international flights for 15 interviews, on top of all the hotels you have to stay at. And um, the way I also dealt with, you know, the 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 cost of, of interviewing was was to take out a, a small loan, uh, but I paid back pretty quickly. Uh, but unfortunately, that that's that's the way it is. And, and even, you know, even for American uh, kids applying to residency, it's its a very expensive process, whether you're applying for internal medicine or neurosurgery.
0: Yeah, the median uh, cost is, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 grand. And in a normal year, obviously, the pandemic has changed some of that. But that's really good, Greg. I really appreciate you talking about that. I know it's a difficult subject. and
1: Sure.
2: Uh,
0: is something that we need to be um of course yeah of as, as we as we apply so um so to, to kind of summarize our the rest of our conversation uh our conversation to this point so take step one early um especially if you're taking it within between now and january 2022 before it moves to pass fail there are really six pathways um, for international medical grads to take before coming to the uh, united states so they can come straight out of med school Um, They can complete residency training prior to neurosurgery, as Greg has said, they can do postdoctoral fellowships, pursue an advanced degree, um, do a pre-residency fellowship, um, much like you guys did, and then do extended clinical experiences in the United States. Um, Make sure you get the ECFMG uh, certificate. Um, You got to take step one, uh, step two CSCK and graduate before you can get that. And then try to do as many sub eyes, you know, three, four or five, if you can, um, in the United States and do uh, and get letters from people in the in those fields. Um, contact as many people as you possibly can. Um, it's kind of a numbers game trying to just get as many people to, to connect with you and, and reach out to international grads to, to get advice on on the pathway. Uh, And then do um, try to get as much research experiences as you possibly can. Um, Is there anything that I missed there that you think would be good to summarize?
2: Um, um, As an IMG, you have an interesting story to tell, Mm -hmm. you know, you're from a different background than the rest of the applicants Mm -hmm. Um, and people care about this, you know, Uh, and that's what I've seen on, on the trail. You know, people were really interested in having a conversation with me. So, the one thing I do want to mention is it don't don't get discouraged by the process. It's it's definitely worth it.
1: Can okay, I see everything to add? No, I think that was um, an excellent summary, uh, Mike. Um, I think that we you know we discussed about the the major points that somebody needs to have in mind. Um, what I was just gonna say is, um, as Greg said, it's a it's an it's a process that's worth the time and the effort and everything. Um and ultimately um it needs careful planning. Um and it also needs just at the end of the day, you know, you might say that the chances still very low, you know, for especially for foreign medical graduates, but you know, also for American medical graduates, you know, things are hard. And so, you know, you always need to have a plan B and a plan C at you know, at the end of the day to make sure. You know that your time, that and the effort and everything, is not going to waste. So, well, you need careful planning the whole process. I would say
2: that's an, a very, into, in, you know, very important point that we need to drive home for IMGs listening to us is, is careful planning. You know, organization skills and showing resilience. People care about this. You know, uh, it's all that that process is all about resiliency for 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 IMGs. Um, Dr. Johnson, do you have anything to add to, to con-
0: conclude what we've, we've talked about? Um, yeah, I do. I have a
3: couple of quick thoughts great. that I think could kind of help bring things home, so to speak. So one thing I do think it's important to mention is that, at least in my experience, neurosurgery as a field really tries to um, reward hard work slash be a meritocracy. Um, I really do think that's true. I I think that the field generally overlooks things like where you went to medical school and um, in in favor of people rising through the ranks, proving themselves with hard work and accomplishment. So what I would say is that number one, uh, don't be afraid of your own story. I think people, neurosurgeons, like, like, uh, Gregory kind of mentioned, nurse really like to hear this story of coming from another country and, and navigating this complex process, doing really well, and being there in front of them as a as a new and diverse and interesting person to add to the mix of neurosurgery with different talents and viewpoints. I think that I think that they value that. Um, the second thing is is though is that when you are given these opportunities, if you've figured out how to navigate this system, um, and you are um, about to start your research fellowship you really need to hit that out of the park right you can't just do it and put a line on your on your cv that you just did a research fellowship I mean, you need to publish you need to go to conferences you need to network you need to maximize all these opportunities um, you know see if you can volunteer to spend time on the clinical service where you're doing your research fellowship i mean you just continue to churn and, churn and churn and churn and churn and these things will eventually end up benefiting you in the end Um, And so I think, I think no matter what it is, a sub I, a, you know, anything, you've done all this hard work to set all these things up, you just have to be ready to hit it hard um, when you get there and really knock all these opportunities for home runs. And, um, and then when you're sitting there with the other groups of applicants at the interviews, I don't think anything, anyone will hold that against you. I think it'll be a positive um, if you've really accomplished a lot as an IMG. and, and I think people reward you. The only other final thing I'd say is two things. Uh, we have a webinar for the Young Neurosurgeons that is available on YouTube. You can Google it, um, the Young Neurosurgeons in Ref webinar series. The second episode goes through a lot of the match statistics which are relevant to international, magic, international graduates as well as US graduates. Um, secondly, there's another webinar which uh, has been mentioned several times, the word resilience. And um, we just had a webinar with University of Buffalo's Elon Levy and Renee Reynolds, talking about resilience and um, grit. And I think a lot, a lot of the things we talked about today come down to smart planning, resilience, and grit, and hard work. Um, so that may be another one you guys want to check out just as a resource. And um, and those are the majority of my thoughts. I think it's possible. There's clearly examples of people that have done it very well. And I think this is a really important conversation that should help a lot of people that are trying to figure out how to how to do this and if they want to tackle it and these types of things.
0: Luck certainly favors the prepared Um, and we'll have the rest of the, uh, all the links and everything posted on the website um, that you guys think is relevant to today's conversation. Um, Panos and Greg, thank you so much for being on. I think this is really valuable.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, have this discussion with you guys.
2: Yeah. Thank you. I, I enjoyed this uh, very much. I could talk about this for hours. Um, it's an important, important subject for sure.
0: Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow, and leave a comment in Spotify, Apple podcasts, or wherever you get your audio content. Make sure to follow MSNTC and the YNC on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And check out our webpage at neurosurgerytraining.org slash TNJ, where you can find other episodes and links and resources related to today's conversation be sure to check out the YNC's webinar series and visit their webpage on aans.org. If you have comments or ideas for episodes or would like to join us to talk about anything neurosurgery related, our email address is tnjpodcast at neurosurgerytraining.org. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, I'd like to thank Matt Rosenthal, one of our fantastic MSNTC volunteers for helping with the editing and processing and also thank all the fabulous people involved in this project. Have a great day and we look forward to next time.